If you didn't get one, and there's one in a in a hymnal, says the sword of the Lord. Where's my pick? chicken. <laughs> Very serious. Why did the football team fry the chicken? <laughs> Too many fouls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Can I try another one? We're going to go to First John 3, but this is just to... Well... Alright. Uh, <clears throat> these are things about animals. That I did not know because I don't think about these things. And after this, uh, hopefully you're be more liber more alert. Armadillos are the only animals besides <laughs> humans that can get leprosy. Did you know that? There's a reason for me saying these things, and it's always going to be. Did you know that? Uh, bats always turn left when they exit the cave. Did you know that? No. All right. Camels have three eyelids to protect themselves from blowing sand. Did yes. you know that? Maybe you suspected that. That one again. Camels have three eyelids to protect themselves from blowing sand. Makes sense. Um, it takes a lobster seven years to grow to be one pound. Did you know that? Of itself. To grow, to grow a pound, yes. As it, which, yeah, a long time. Oh, now, this is really interesting. I did not know this. When snakes are born with two heads, they fight each other for food. I believe. Hmm. Certain frogs can be frozen solid, then thawed, and continue living. 
Did not know that. A group of unicorns is called a blessing. A group of unicorns is called a blessing. Did you know that? Yes. Now, those things are just, it's just trivia. It doesn't mean anything. It's interesting. But did you know the most important thing is that you know that you're saved? Amen. That's the most important thing. Right. Amen. All right, let's go to First John chapter 3. See, there was some reason for that madness. First John chapter 3. John has not finished his theme about sinning and sinning not. And so we will also continue because we are going through 1 John chapter 3 now, verse by verse, and trying to understand what John is saying. We're in 1 John chapter 3 and come to verse number, let me back up my Bible page here, verse number 14. Let's pray as we start. Thank you, Lord, for letting us be in church. Thank you for giving us freedom. Thank you for giving us the Bible. Help us, Father, to take time to study it, take time to learn it, take time to practice it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse number 14, 1 John 3, 14. We know that we have passed from death unto life because. We know something because. We know we've passed from death unto life. Another word you can use to express that is we know that we are saved. We know that we are born again. We know that we are Christian because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Verse 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how doeth the love of God in him? My little children, let us love not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. Now, we have certain words in these verses. It's all the same theme, and it all connects. There is some mystery, but all of this connects to one thing. And that one thing is pointing to evidence. We're looking for evidence. We're looking for the fingerprints. The toe prints, the little indications that say somebody was here. Something happened because although we didn't see it happen, we know something happened because there's evidence about that. Evidence, of course, is uh, it should be very compelling because evidence is what proves that somebody did or did not do something. That'll be in a crime, in a crime context. But in the life of a Christian, in the context of what John is saying here, uh, we know somebody is saved because... We know somebody is saved because of something, because of evidence. Evidence proved that someone is saved. So this is what the theme is so far in this chapter. It continues. John's not through with it, so I'm not through with it either. And so the word is exposure as well. It exposes who is and who is not a genuine Christian. And so in these verses, he's going to tell you, and he has written to you, how you can tell, how someone can tell if someone is a genuine Christian. The word genuine 
is important. If you own a car, it's made by a manufacturer, and you have a certain model of a car. Have a Toyota. Some parts that will be replaced, some repairs, has to be done by the manufacturer. It has to be replaced with genuine parts, they say. Now, the word genuine is to separate from aftermarket parts. Sometimes aftermarket parts that you buy in parts stores are just as good, and then sometimes it's not. Aftermarket parts sometimes are very faulty, cheaply, poorly made materials, construction, but it fits what you need for your car. And then sometimes you're forced to go to the dealer because you need to get genuine parts, the real thing. You know what John is saying? John is saying we need to know what the real thing is. When it comes to the Christian and being saved and being born again and how you can tell who is a real Christian, he says the evidence is seen by how he lives. All right? So that is what he's saying in this body of Scripture in 1 John chapter 3. Now, it says in verse number 14, We know that we have passed from death unto life because, reason, evidence, we love the brethren. But let me ask this question. We have some dilemmas here within these simple verses. Now, I say that because the Bible, God's Word, it is intended to be understood. While that is true, it is sometimes difficult to understand because it is God's word. Do you remember a scripture where God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways, and so on? And that's just to express that God is way above us and his word is his word. And our, our, our perceptions, our understanding, our, our take on things is not always the same as what God is trying to say. And even though we try very hard to explain the Bible, to teach it, and you pray and ask God to give you instructions in the Word, and He does do that, there are some things that are difficult to understand, just because. Just because. Not because God's trying to trick anyone, but just because. It covers a lot of things, and some things you don't learn right away. Sometimes it takes a long time, years of reading, rereading, and studying, and restudying, and that's how it works out. So that's all involved in the Bible, okay? Hope you got that one. So uh, approach the Bible with uh, eagerness to learn it, but also understand sometimes you will not learn something because the words, the phrases, the way it's constructed, it's a little bit hard to get. And that's just the way it is. So I say that to say don't stop reading, don't stop studying, don't give up, don't be discouraged because you don't understand everything. You're not, a, you're not an unsaved person because you don't understand it. In 1 Corinthians 2.14, it says the natural man receiveth not, uh, it is spiritually discerned. He doesn't get it. But even Christians don't get it. Even Christians don't get it. That doesn't mean you're not a Christian. And having said that, it says in verse number 14, we love the brethren as in evidence that we are have passed death unto life. But he also says, he that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Wait a minute now. I have a question. Do you, do you always love the brothers? In Christ, he's talking about Christian brothers. Do you all love them? No. I mean, really. No. The fact is, the fact is, sometimes there are Christians who are not so lovable. Right. This is because of the human nature factor. All of us are often, I should say often, sometimes we're just cranks. We're just mean. We're just hard to get along with. We're sometimes irritating to other people. Uh, can you admit to that? Yep. That's... 
because of our human nature, our old nature, and because of the world we live in. And so, does she really mean to say that if you don't love your brother, you abide in death? No. There's a little bit more to it than just what you read. Because human nature tells us, and 1 Corinthians 6, and uh, Romans 6 and 7 tells us, Paul struggled with his flesh, with his nature. And he would do the things he doesn't want to do. And the things that he would do, that he should do, he doesn't do. He has a struggle. Everybody struggles once in a while. So this must mean something a little bit more than what it appears to say. Because you love the brethren. Well, that would be a mark of a Christian because he does love the brothers. But at the same time, because you don't all the time love the brothers. Now listen, let's be honest. You don't always love your wife all the time. <laughs> you don't always love your husband all the time. You don't always love your kids all the time. I don't know how many times, I haven't counted, but I don't know how many times I've gotten mad at my kids when they're young. And I don't know how many times they got mad at each other when they were young. Maybe they still do, I don't know. <laughs> you just you just you just are not so always consistent. So we cannot assume that because you are angry with your spouse or with your kids or your grandkids or anybody, a Christian friend, it doesn't mean you're not saved. You have to have that understanding. Look, today, you might have a grudge against a brother sitting right here or a sister right here. I don't know. And I don't want to know. But I don't know. You might have come to church arguing in the car. But when you walk to the church door, everything is smiley happy. Okay, that's all right. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. You're not being a hypocrite. You're just trying to be respectful, decent, as you should be. That's fine. Hopefully after church, you go out leaving sincerely fine. He that loveth not his brother about in death. There's a condition to that. You don't always, it doesn't mean you're not saved if you hate your brother. There are some things that I hate. Isn't that true? Let me park for just a minute. There are some things like I hate. I hate, but it's not I despise, but I don't like. Hate's a strong word, but he uses the word hate. But if you love righteousness, you hate evil. People who are evil, you don't like what they do, and you may not even like the person. I know the saying is, uh, God loves the, sin, the sinner, but he doesn't love the sin. That is somewhat true. But there's a distinction as well, because God does get angry with the sinners. And in fact, Proverbs says he's angry with sinners every day. So you have to be cautious about how you understand and view things. But if you don't love your brother all the time, it doesn't mean you're not saved. Do siblings fight? Do siblings argue? Do siblings go to bed angry at another? Of course. Do sometimes husband and wife argue and fight and go to bed angry? We were told before we got married by some well-meaning senior Christian, um, never go to sleep angry with your wife or your husband. Well, honestly, that's a good way to think. But sometimes you go to bed angry. You know why? Because you do. You just do. Now, isn't that encouraging? <laughs> Verse number 15. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. But wait a minute. Condition. That's what he says. Cain murdered his brother. Cain was not righteous. Cain never did accept his parents' teaching about a blood sacrifice. He never got it. He never took it to heart. He never sincerely believed it. Abel did. And out of envy and jealousy and resentment and just pure hatred, he killed his brother. Cain did. Well, whosoever hated his brother is a murderer. But I can tell you, I've hated Christians before. I've despised them before, you know, for not, not permanently, but 
I can't believe he did that. Why did he do that? Oh, man. One time, this Christian guy did some work for me in my house in Conway decades ago in the early, in the mid, late 70s. And he did work for us. For, for us. Uh, he was in a church that I was in. I was not the pastor. I was just a member of the church. Had a position. But this guy was a handyman. And this handyman, uh, uh, I thought, well, he's a Christian. I'll hire him to replace some door frame, window frames. It's all termite eaten. And so you poke it with a pencil or a pen. It just goes right in. All this brown stuff comes out like sand. Termites. Termites. Well, can't have that. Uh, it was not treated wood. So I asked if he would come by, take a look, and see how much he would charge and uh, for the job. I said, I'll buy you the materials from sitting there on County Oil, and you just, uh, you know, I'll pay you as you go. He said, fine. I said, can you do it? He says, yes. I said, will you do a good job? He said, yes. Do a good job for me? He says, yes. He says, of course, I'm a Christian. <laughs> oh. Of course, I'm a Christian. Well, I was younger, and I believe what he said because I thought all Christians are going to be like saints. All Christians could be trusted. All Christians are noble, honest, have integrity. That's what I thought. Well, he got the materials. He told me what he needed. He went down, got the piece of lumber, and he cut it there, and he miter cut it, and he put up one window. There was two windows in the bedroom. A bedroom. This was Emily's room. He put up. He did one. Then he needed uh, cash to buy materials for the second window. I said, great. That looks good. He hadn't painted it yet, but he was going to prime paint it. Okay, fine. I gave him what he needed, he told me, and then he was come back the next day. The next day came, and this guy did not show up. He did half of the job. He got paid for the materials, paid up front for the materials, paid for his day of work or how many hours, and then I paid him for the materials he was supposed to buy. Next day, he did not show up. Okay, I said, well, I'll see him on Wednesday night at church. I didn't say Wednesday night at church. I asked around, well, where's so-and-so? I don't know. I said, okay. He's not answering his phone. Back then, it's just landline. Not answering his phone and uh, left messages. Back then, we did have answer machines. We were advanced. <laughs> didn't answer his answer machine. Left message, hey, so-and-so, hey, uh, what's up? You going to come back, finish the job? Call me. Want to know what's going on? No reply. Sunday comes looking for this guy. I'm so mad at this guy. I'm thinking, what kind of a guy is this? I'm looking for him. I couldn't wait for Saturday night to be over so I can see him on Sunday morning and confront him. I was so mad. He doesn't show up. He has a wife. He has two kids. Doesn't show up. I ask around. I ask uh, a friend of his. I say, hey, where is so-and-so? Oh, you don't know. I said, and then when he said, I, you don't know, I said, my antenna went up. Oh, you don't know. And I felt like, oh, no. I got ripped off. I don't know what. I said, what? He went to Chicago. I said, what? No, he went to Chicago. When did he go to Chicago? Um, was it Sunday? He went Friday. I said, are you kidding me? He said, no, he's gone. He moved, packed up and left. And I thought right there, you dirty skunk. Did I love my brother at that time? Now, if you did, you are a saint. <laughs> if, you can, if you said, oh, bless his heart. If you said, well, all things work together for good, blah, blah, blah. You are more spiritual than the Apostle Paul. <laughs> you're, you're akin to Jesus Christ, who said, Father, forgive him, for he knows what he's doing. 
I was steaming. I was steaming that sun. I was so mad. I wanted to punch my monoculars right. I just wanted to take revenge on what could I do? At that moment, I did not love that brother. He says he's a Christian, but I, he was not acting like a Christian. Did not. And so, murder's in my heart. <laughs> Where's the club? King, can I borrow your club? <laughs> never did get a hold of him again. Never saw him for, since now. From then, never saw him after 1979, 78, something like that. I never saw him since. I saw his cousins live in Cali. Well, I'm just simply pointing out by that real life experience that um, I want to murder him, but I'm still saved. According to verse 15, um, no murderer hath eternal life abiding him. I did not commit murder, but I thought it. And just like Jesus said about, if you look at him, the lust after you committed fornication, adultery with her already, yet that was not done physically. I did not physically kill him, but I wanted to in my heart. So there's a higher standard, but the point now is I did not have good wishes toward him, but I'm saved. But I'm saved. You have to understand some of these things when you read these verses. Now, it says in verse number 16, Hereby perceive we the love of God. Because, once again, he gives a reason why you can tell. So far, <clears throat> he has given you strong statements about how you can tell someone is a believer. Because they're not a murderer. They don't hate their brother. But practically, in fact, we know that it happens. Now it says in verse 16, we perceive the love of God, because He laid down, Jesus laid His life for us. Here's how, here's how we know that God loves us. He laid down His life for us. That's the cross, everything laid up to the cross. We, When we say God loves you, we can say that with assurance because we know He does because of what He did. Because there's evidence. See, these footsteps, not like this kind, but His sandals led to the cross. I mean, as a matter of fact, when he was a little boy, if you think about this, when he was willing away in his, in his dad's shop on a piece of wood, what do you think he was willing away on a piece of wood? Take a guess. You can imagine this. You can imagine his willing away a cross beam for a cross and a, and a post for the cross. You can imagine him doing that because he knew from the very beginning what he was there for. And so he says, verse number 16, Hereby we perceive, we, the love of God, because He laid down His life for us. And so the real evidence that you know God loves you, that Jesus loves you, when you say that, you can say with assurance, because you know He does because He went to the cross for you. Laid down His life for you. That's how you know, by the evidence. So once again, it's evidence, it's proof. It's, he says, here's how we perceive. We perceive something. We sense something. Okay, now, let me talk about perceive. You perceive some things by what someone does or says. Isn't that so? Sometimes you think you understand what's going on because you have experience. You lived a long time. You know from experience that this is a repeat of something that happened before. So you can perceive, okay, this is where he's going. I know what he intends to do. Sometimes you know what somebody intends to do because of their actions, about what they say. Let me give you an example. You have to look up here to get the example, okay? Um, sports teaches a lot of life lessons and not all sports are good to be in but sports overall is a good lesson teacher life teacher for a lot of folks but uh, we had to go when as a Castle high school we had to go early morning to one of the portables that the coach the head coach taught in he was a 
I don't know what he wasn't teaching, but he taught football. <laughs> we had to be there at 7.30, class began at 8 o'clock, homeroom. We had to eat at 7.30 for what they call chalk talk. Blackboard back then, greenboard, and the old chalky chalk. We had to be there at 7.30 to listen to him teach so that when we practiced that afternoon, we would be ready, more ready than uh, wasting time on the field teaching us things that he taught us before we got to the field. And we got there, some of us, some of us got there quarter after 7 for a 7.30 meeting with the coach. Some of us got there at 7.45. The ones who got there at 7.45 had reasons for being there at 7.45. One of the reasons was they didn't want to be there. They just wanted to play the game. They didn't want to learn anything. And so when they got there, they, they sat like this in class. They first got into their little desk, they sat up straight. After a couple of minutes, they were like this. Now, when you see that kind of body language, what do you think when someone's talking? Now, if, you're, if I'm talking to you and you're doing this, you're doing this. If you roll your eyes at me like this, or you turn to your friend, you say, what does that mean to me? You're telling me something. I just taste that you do this to your friend. These things are sending a signal. And we were we were in those portables in the early morning, 7.30. We were doing some of that stuff. We were bored. The coach was a boring teacher. Monotone. Monotone. Very much predictable. Same old thing day before. Same old thing. We were very bored. Didn't get our attention. And we showed it by our, by our body English. Hey! You listening to me? The coach would stop. Raise his voice and he would go like this. And to exercise his authority, he had to scream at us and stop everything and threaten us. You know, because of you not listening, you might cause us a, cause us to lose a touchdown. You hear that? And everybody's going all scared. After a while, it's like, yeah, he doesn't mean that. But we expressed to the teacher, the coach, we were bored. And he was. <laughs> but he didn't like to know that. He thought he was the epitome of all wisdom for football. Well... We perceived, he could perceive that we didn't like what he's saying. And in real life, ladies and gentlemen, we perceive what's going to happen. We think we know what's going to happen because of how people are behaving. Now watch this. Watch this. Tell me if you can perceive my intent. Can you perceive my intent? Can you perceive my intent? If you don't know what I intend to do, you're dumb. <laughs> you are five years old. You have, you're just innocent. You think no ill because you just don't. But if you see me doing something like this, you know stores have secret shoppers or secret, you know, they're store walkers. They're hybrid stores. They're like to catch somebody. I once was in Walmart, Mililani, and I, um, I just parked my car. And there's a car next to me in the stall. A guy's coming up with the wagon. Local guy. He's coming up. And I think nothing of this. Two guys are walking behind him. But me, two cars away from him. He's going to his car. Opens his trunk. Kicks up the back. Put in the car. Shuts the trunk. The two guys say, come here. They grab him by the arm. He said, oh, what's going on here? He said, 
Come, come back with us. Come with us back to the store. Why? 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 What did I do? And the first thing he said was, "I paid for that." And the guy said, "Who said anything about you stealing anything?" You know what they saw in the store? They saw him walking around the parts. I'll say parts department, small things. You know, he's doing this kind of thing. You know, and pretends looking at something. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Because of his body language, he was on camera, and the and the walker in the store, employed by the store, saw him, and he got his little walker. Okay, okay. A Chinese guy, green shirt, put something in his pocket. Yeah, he looks like a criminal. <laughs> yeah, we'll wait till we go the store. Look, he's acting like he's shopping. He's picking up stuff, putting it back. Yeah, he's pretending. He's trying to throw us off his track. You know? Walks out the store. There he goes. There he goes. Ready? Okay, you get ready. Ready? John, Joe, someone, one, someone, two. Ready? <laughs> and if and if I, and I caught the telling of that, he was suspicious in his behavior, and that tipped him off. Evidence of intent. Now look. You better stop. Don't take another step toward me. Where's my hand here? Okay, look at this. Stan, is this right? Is this officially like, um, don't take another step? You better not. No, my hand's right here. Flip off the safety. My hand's on the gun. What do I intend to do if you take another step? Yes, ma'am, that's what I'm gonna do. You ever see a bear? Black bear, grizzly bear, you know. Um, polar bears are very vicious because all they eat is meat. They got in the grass to eat. They got nothing to eat except, except meat. I saw um, a little bit of a guy in this um, tractor trailer kind of thing with this protective um, cabin. And a, a polar bear is up there sniffing around. And this commentator is saying he wants to eat the guy. And he goes, Poof. you know, just a gentle claw like this to feel it out like that, you know. And the commentator is saying, that bear wants to eat that man in there. And the guy's over here, you know, he's got his headphones on like that. Uh, he, he's acting like the bear's not there. He says the bear intends to eat this guy only because of the actions of the bear. You know what the intent is. I perceive the guy saying, without saying the word, I perceive, I perceive he wants to eat that man. Of course. I perceive the love of God because, and he tells you why. You cannot disguise the intent forever. Of course, Jesus Christ, in a, in a, in a positive biblical way, uh, he came for that certain reason. And we draw from that lesson, a lesson that we, you, you, can, you can discern, you can perceive that somebody intends to do something good or bad. It makes a difference. In court, it's called motive. <clears throat> Well, he did, he did tell him stop, and he drew his handgun, and he shot at him. What was his motive? Not murder, self-defense. Now, if someone broke into your home, these things are called home invasions, and you were fortunate to have a handgun, a shotgun, or a 50 caliber machine gun, <laughs> some innocent thing like that, would you not use it to protect your family? That was the case. And if that actually happened, and you saw... These guys come at 2 o'clock in the morning. They got masks on their heads. Two guys. They come in. They break, they break in. What is their intent? 
Would you tell me that they're just to say, uh, we're for independent Baptist church. We'd like to give the gospel track. No. They're there for obvious reasons. And because of that, you may not even stop to say, stop or I'll shoot. You just made me shoot in the dark. Now, that happens. If that happens, you have to go to court, go to trial, and discern if this guy, if you murdered this guy. A lot of times it's backwards, isn't it? But the fact is, the intent I perceive is after my daughter, my son, my wife. What normal red-blooded man is not going to defend his family? Tell me. Unless you are some woke judge and says, no, you shouldn't have done that because that would have hurt him. That's right. I intended to hurt him because he intended to hurt my family. That's right. Got it? Yeah. Rich on, yeah. Tell you. All right. Where am I? Love the brothers. Verse number 16. We know God loves us. We perceive it because of his actions. Then he says in verse 16, this is all in the context of how you can tell you are a true believer. He then says, after he tells us that Christ proved his love by laying down his life, he says this now in verse number 16. And, and we ought, we ought to, we ought to. There's a lot of things we ought to do that we don't do. There's a lot of things we ought not to do that we do. We ought to do this, he says. But we don't always feel this way. Does that mean you're not a Christian? No. It just means that there's hindrances in growth. Maybe, you know, everybody's growing at different speeds and rates and you just don't feel like that all the time. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Sometimes people do this instinctly. In the wars, World War One and Two, you've had you've had Marines and soldiers, they'll give their lives literally diving on a grenade to protect his buddies. It's an instinct, it's a reaction, it's not a it's not something you plan to do, but sometimes you know that you may, you may do that. But when it happens so quickly, you don't think, you just react. This here is the deliberate action of laying down your life for the brethren, talking about saved people. That's a very difficult thing. Not many people will come to that place where they say, you know what, I'm willing to do that. They won't come to that place. But he says, that's what we ought to do. Now look at this. He gives you a break. John gives you a break. Thank you, John. Watch this, verse 17. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Now verse 17 is a break. I look at it as a break from John. John first said, you have to lay down your life for your brothers like Christ did for you. However, he didn't say this, I'm telling you. However, if you can't do that, can you at least do this instead? Can you at least do this instead? You have a Christian brother. He says in verse number 17, um, he has a need. The need is something material because this is the world's good. It's something tangible. He needs something. It could be many things. He doesn't want something. He needs something. He needs something. And you, the, the fellow Christian, you see that need, and here's what you do. You shut up your bowels of compassion from him. Then he says, you didn't help him. Now, if he could have helped him, but he didn't help him, he's, that's what he's talking about. 
how dwelleth the, the conclusion is, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Do you see the picture here? Okay, you may not give your life to for your brother because like Christ gave his life for us, you cannot sacrifice as much, but can you do this? You, you, you have a Christian brother, you find out from uh, something that he, he needs this. He, it's a need. He needs something. It's a must. It's a, it's a basic thing in life that he needs to have. World's good. It could be food. It could be shelter. It could be something that he needs. Not maybe not permanently, but maybe temporarily. And you have the means to help meet that need. And you just say, like James talks about this, he says, well, God bless you, brother. Be filled and be warm. This dead of winter in Michigan. He's out there and he's, he's ran out of heat and got lit up because of some factors, not, not his problem. And he's destitute, just about. Doesn't want to say anything to you. He's got pride. He, he's got dignity. He doesn't want to say to you, I need help. No one wants to ask for help. You know that? Because of pride. And he, he's a Christian man. And you're a Christian. And he's, you find out about that. And you say this, well, Lord, please help him. Please take care of his needs. Lord, send somebody to help him. And then, and then, you ask about it. This is a fellow church member, for example. And the, the guy's not in church, or he has to sit home with his wife and babies and so on. So, how's he going? Oh, not too good. You know, they, they turned off his heat. Now, if the heat gets turned off in the wintertime in Michigan, that's a problem. That's a huge problem. It is life and death. You, you folks who live here don't understand that, but it is. Oh, well, God, well, let, let's pray for him right now. Let's hold hands and pray for him. Okay, you prayed for him, good. God can answer your prayer, but but then uh, here you are, you're a business owner. Here you are, you are a, uh, you got a, a job that pays you, uh, let's say um, let's say you make uh, 600,000 a year. You're pretty well off. You live in a nice neighborhood. And this is your Christian brother. And you know about that. And you say, oh boy, I hope somebody can do something for him. You know what John is telling you? Whoso hath this world's good, and see if his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him. How dwelt the love of God in him? Well, uh, it's, it's, it, there's no love of God there. <laughs> because he can, but he won't. But he sure can buy himself a 55-inch TV screen. He sure can get him a new car every year. He sure can go to these membership clubs that he's part of. He sure can go to the operas and do all these fancy things. He sure has a big budget for his clothing and for his wife's clothing, all these kind of things. But he won't lift a finger to help his brother. It wouldn't even bother him if he did. And that's what he's saying here. That's what he's saying. And this is, uh, I, I cited a James verse. Let's look at that James verse. James chapter 2. Back up to James. James chapter 2, verse number 14. This is exactly what John is saying, but now James is saying it. James 2, 14. What doth the prophet, what good is it? What good is it? What doth the prophet, my brethren? Though a man say he hath faith, and have not works, can faith save him? Verse 15. If example. Example. Let me explain verse 14. James is saying, like John is saying, if a man says he's a Christian, if he has faith, but there's no fruit, no evidence, how can he say that he's a Christian? There's no evidence of him being a Christian. 
Then he says in verse 14, and have not works. Where's the evidence? Where's the fingerprints? Where's the footprints? There's not there. Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked, well, that'd be a need to have, to have clothes. This could, you could read this generically as if he's destitute, doesn't have anything that he really needs. In this case, he says, if he be naked, destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, you say to the one who has named, depart in peace, be warmed and filled. Notwithstanding, ye give them not those things which are needful to the body. What doth the prophet? Even so, verse 17, even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. And then he continues, verse 18, yea, a man may say, thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. I will bring evidence that I believe. Okay, so back to 1 John chapter 3. Now, folks, I hope you understand what is happening here. It is not that if you don't love, if you don't give, if you don't help, if you don't, you know, it's not that you're not a Christian. If you hate someone, hopefully it's just for a split second, then you're over that. Yeah. But um, he's talking about evidence. He's talking about proof that you really are a real Christian. And so in 1 John 3, like in James 2, if you can't help but you don't, I'll give you an out. You may have prayed about it and God said to you, and you feel convicted, no, I don't, I don't think I want to help that person. You may have a strong reason why. Maybe. Sometimes, sometimes you got to be cautious about helping everyone that you know that has a need. You got to be cautious sometimes. Secondly, if you prayed about something and you, you feel like God wants to help that person out, then you should do that. And so when you do that, you are proving, you're showing not that you have to prove anything to anybody, but it is a matter of life as a Christian that, well, that guy's a good Christian. Well, how do you know he's a good Christian? Evidence. That guy's really spiritual. How do you know he's spiritual? That's something inside. But it's seen on the outside. You watch his conduct. You watch his behavior. Look at his words. Look at their faithfulness to God. Look at their consistency. Man to man. We can't tell what's in the heart except what we see on the outside. That's what James talks about as well in chapter 2. So we help this brother out, and whether he thanks us or not, you did what God said to do, and now he has another month of power for his house to be warm in Michigan in January. Now, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about real faith, real Christians. They do something if they can. Pray first. See if God wants you to do something. If not, if you're not able to, ask God to help somebody to do something. God can touch someone else's heart to do something that you cannot do. If you want to support every missionary that you know, you go broke. What good is that if you have to freeze in the wintertime in Michigan? You have to be discerning. You have to be cautious. You have to be um, uh, careful. Your family's needs, that's pretty important, isn't it? Would it be, would it, listen, here's a, here's a thought. Would it be right to take out $200 from your family budget that they need to support missionary, a missionary or two? Well, maybe you want to, but as you think about it, you pray about it, maybe you think, you know what, the way things are going, I can't afford $5 more to do this, although I want to. So you have to be thinking about that and being 
being cautious and careful and discerning. Now, some people have the faith to just, and God takes care of them. I believe that too. Yep. I believe that too. But you have to be, you have to be careful because you could cause your family to suffer if you do otherwise just without counting the cost. Okay? Now, if this was a mission conference, the theme would be trust God, trust God, and just give and give and give. Trust God. Okay, that'd be the theme of this mission conference. But after the excitement's over, and you find out that you can't pay your mortgage on your house, and you're short on paying for your car payments, and now you're getting calls by the bank, is there something wrong with this picture? That picture, yes. So you have to be wise and cautious while still before God, showing Him evidence that you really are a Christian. Oh, by the way, let me say this. <coughs> What's I going to say? Oh man, that cough just knocked my thought out of my head. Um, it, it may be come back to me. Let's go down to verse number one. First John uh, chapter 3, verse number 14. Back up to verse 14. We know, we know, verse 16, we perceive by cause of the evidence. And then look at verse number 19. Hereby we know we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. So once again, this is not a legalistic statement. This is not about... Um, showing off or uh, doing things for, for, for like a Pharisee for show, not at all. This is about the, out, the outgrowth, the outcome naturally from the inside out. Real faith means there's real Christian compassion and real Christian love. Now, if you love, if you love the Lord, if you love the Christian brothers, it seems like, and I say that to, to buffer this, it seems like you would have evidence of it if you love someone. Now, naturally, some things come along when you love somebody. Or means certain things, doesn't it? It means certain things. <clears throat> I was joking with Eric last night. Um, I, I was joking with Eric last night. And I said, Eric, uh, he's got friends coming here that are Nilouettes to visit. First time, and uh, so I said, "Okay, we'll keep our eye for them." And then I said, "Eric, big day coming up in October." He says, "Yeah, yeah." Smiley face, yeah. I said, "You still have to back out." <laughs> you know what he told me? Here's what he told me. Where's my phone? He said, "No way, sir." <laughs> I can tell you, I perceive. I can tell you, I know that he is excited as can be, and his mind is going in a thousand different places with work, with whatever else is going on, and uh, you know, anticipating the day in which she says I do, and she says I do, uh, and, and she does uh, say I do, but he's anticipating the wedding day, and there's so much going on emotionally and otherwise that you cannot make him be angry at anything. You cannot get him in a bad mood. Because he is such on such a high, as would anybody be if they are truly in love with someone and hope to get married. And they're on such a high 
Nothing bothers them. Nothing bothers them. Nothing gets them off track. They're just upbeat. They're happy. I mean, they're optimistic. They're so looking forward to that big day. Nothing can go wrong. Things do go wrong. The day of the wedding, things go wrong. The day after the wedding, things go wrong. And there's a couple who got married on their honeymoon. They were going to Mexico. They were going to Mexico. Football player, San Francisco 49ers years ago. Go down to somewhere in Mexico. They get there, baggage claim, no baggage to claim. Gone. They arrive late at night and they're they're trying to get to the hotel and uh, it's it's like they get to the hotel without their luggage and things. They're trying to be optimistic, trying to be happy, and uh, the hotel is not as advertised. You know the pictures really look nice, but it's not as advertised. You talking about roaches? You talking about hair on the bed? Pull the spread back. Hair on the bed sheet. That's gross. Hair on the pillowcase. That is gross. That's like Hilton Hawaiian Village housekeeping. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Carlton. Just kidding, Carlton. Uh, it's just so disappointing. There's a sign. Do not drink tap water. Oh, this is really nice. Really nice. Oh, no recognitioning. Ceiling fan, and it doesn't go but one speed, slow. Next day, supposed to have breakfast. Uh, sorry, you missed it. <laughs> All kind of things go wrong. But because the couple is in such love with each other, I mean, they, they bear it, they go along with it, they get over it, eventually they look back and they laugh about it. Now, if there is true love for Christ, then a lot of things just follow. And that's what he's talking about. That's what he's talking about. Some of us here, um, when when bad things happen, you know what? I'm supposed to stop. I got to stop. According to, that clock's my dictator right there. I got to stop before somebody does this to me. So I need to stop. End the story right now, okay? And let's uh, gather at 1030 for a minute or two to pray, men and women.